Alright, good morning. Welcome to Business Casual. I'm Tyler Kern. And Jeffrey Short is here. <laughs> good good to be in here. It's always good to have you, Jeff. Yeah. Jeff the Big Short. <laughs> Jeff the Big Short. Your Packers were also a bit short last night. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. How do you not run the ball from the one-yard line, Jeff? Uh, shades of Pete Carroll in the Super I Bowl, know. right? I mean, how many times do we have to see this movie? <laughs> Unfortunately, this is not a sports show. <laughs> Otherwise, we would be breaking down why the Packers decided not to run the ball from the one-yard line and lost uh, by a touchdown, I believe, to the Philadelphia Eagles last night. Something I'm not happy about because I'm a Cowboys fan, but that's neither here nor there. Because it is September 27th, this is Business Casual. Welcome to your uh, morning show for all of your B2B news and updates and all of that good stuff. Jeff, I'm glad you're here today, man. Yeah, it's always good to be in here, so I'm happy to be rotating in a little bit more and uh, giving everyone my valuable opinions. <laughs> Valuable uh, nuggets of insight right. and that sort of thing. Uh, as always, we start off just with a quick look at the markets. The Dow is up 37 points at the moment. The Nasdaq is down 25. The price of oil has dropped one percentage point down to $55.85 a barrel. So that's just kind of your look around uh, at the marketplace today. Coming up on the show, we're going to talk a little bit about 5G in a soccer stadium, which is something that is near and dear to my heart. We're going to play an interview, uh, five minutes, an excerpt of an interview uh, with Daniel Heward talking to Taylor Bagley at the Chicago Build uh, Expo that happened uh, earlier this week. And then we're also going to look at some uh, mind control stuff with Facebook. Uh, you'll, you'll hear more about that story here in a little bit, as well as some public transport news out of New York. Uh, so all of that is coming up on the show today. Jeff, we were talking about football a second ago. Did you see that the Super Bowl halftime show got announced yesterday? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. Shakira and J-Lo, obviously talented musicians and just moguls across all sorts of media. Sure. But um not what I expected, to be honest. <laughs> not, not what you expected, huh? What, what? Like it, it's, it's in Miami, though, right? So that's true. Um, so I guess on a certain level, it makes sense that. I, I guess it makes sense that they went with people like J Lo, like right. Shakira, that they kind of like have that more Miami type flavor, type feel to the to the halftime show, so that it's not. I don't know, Ringo Starr doing the halftime show in, I mean, in Miami? I was Pitbull not available? <laughs> That's what the people want to know, I think. so. I think, Pit, like, <laughs> would you not be shocked if Pitbull doesn't, like, I mean, rise up out of say, the stage He's coming in there point? somewhere. <laughs> Pitbull and uh, probably Enrique Iglesias, right? <laughs> Those, that's that's my guess. In Maybe terms of Ricky the, Martin or someone more of J-Lo's era, honestly. Ooh, some living we'll La, yeah. La Vida Loca. <laughs> I don't know, man. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, this is it, it's interesting and, and kind of funny now the the way that Super Bowl halftime shows are coming back around to what I remember from my childhood before the whole like Janet Jackson Justin right. Timberlake thing kind of I don't know got in there and and blew some <laughs> stuff up. So, anyways, that's uh, that's kind of uh, one of the things I was thinking about this morning. All right, as we move into more serious news and get away from uh, from the football chat, mm -hmm. uh, we have some news that McDonald's is testing Beyond Meat now. Burger King has the Impossible Burger, right? So right. they have the Impossible Whopper. Mm -hmm. McDonald's is now testing Beyond Meat in 28 locations in Ontario, Canada. The burger is going to run for 12 weeks, and Michael McDonald's is really going to see how people react to this particular product. Um, so on the positive side, you have this segment of the market that feels like it's looking for meat alternatives, right? But on the negative side, you have franchisees that are saying, look, we already have too many products. This kind of throws a wrinkle in everything. And uh, certain people, if they're going to eat a meatless burger, want it to be cooked 
in a place that is meatless, right? So not on the same grill and that whole thing as a burger that's right. actually beef. So there are some complications to this. Definitely. There's a lot to unpack here. I mean, I remember this summer watching an interview with the CEO of McDonald's who was explaining exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So are we going to need separate grills because you don't want to mix the beef with a meat or a meatless product? You know, people that are going to get that product specifically right. are not going to want yeah, they're probably vegetarians, although not necessarily, um, but some are. So you got to make sure that that's safe in the kitchen. They might not want all that meat juice. Exactly. Well, <laughs> kind of leaking over. I don't know. The good thing about the Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat, if you are a meat eater, is that it is, although veggie based, it does have that meat juice. So that's kind of the differentiator. Yeah. So some people might want it, but the vegetarians obviously do not. <laughs> um, but from just a business side. Two really important things stuck out to me. First was what we just heard actually last week on this show from University of Denver professor H.G. Parsa, who was saying, okay, you have all these restaurants that are implementing the Impossible Burger or Beyond Burger, but it's not special to them. It's just the Impossible Burger being sold in their store. Mm -hmm. But this actually is special, uh, a special formula for McDonald's. So that is something that maybe more of these restaurants. I know we're at the very infancy of these burgers being rolled out, but yeah. McDonald's is saying, we have our burger formula, even though it's a meatless version, it's going to be unique to McDonald's. So you can't get this product at Burger King necessarily, the mm-hmm. way Burger King's product and White Castle is another one that has it. I know their sliders may be a little different, but that's the same right. meat in there. So this is a little bit of a differentiator. So we'll see if that has any kind of impact for McDonald's. That's really interesting. Okay, so McDonald's is saying this is our propri- a proprietary version of a meatless burger, and they're partnering with Beyond Meat to basically make it. I think so. I mean, they're they're basically tasking Beyond Meat, saying, "Hey, we want your, you know, your product, but we want our twist on it." I guess so. It's something that you can't get at Burger King. That's interesting. Have you had one of these yet? I have. Okay. I have not had. Not the McDonald's Obviously not McDonald's. Ones, yeah. I haven't had a Burger King We either, don't live in Ontario. But, right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I think they're quite good, to be honest. They're prepared well. Really? So yeah, I think some people would be surprised in a blind taste test. Um, I did want to touch on one other thing from a business perspective, yeah. though. Yeah. And I was just uh, familiarizing myself with another thing I had seen earlier this year, talking about Chick-fil-A specifically mm-hmm. and how they've grown because their simplicity. So they started as this regional chain, but their menu is, you know, only a handful of items. And right. their core product, which probably is ordered vastly larger quantities than the wraps and the salads they have sure, there. So they're sure. pumping out these sandwiches. Um, it's only four uh, ingredients in there, chicken, pickles, butter, and roll. Yeah. So they're able to expand because they have such a simple menu. The staff is trained how to make that product. Mm-hmm. The customers order quickly because they know what they want and it's simple to make. It's a good point. And you brought it up earlier. Some of the franchisees here are saying, you know, we already have a lot. I saw in that video, 49 menu changes a year McDonald's has averaged wow. in the last couple of years. So that's a lot. And not only is that harder on the kitchen, they say, okay, now I need to figure out what I need for this specific burger. Sure. But people in the drive-thru aren't as familiar. So it just slows everything down. So while this is kind of sexy news or implementing this new trendy burger, yeah, yeah. we'll see if it really does 
uh, provide a big boom for them. That's a really good point. You wonder if people these days, just with so many options, just want you to be good at something, right? right? <laughs> like do the thing that you do and do it really well. Just do it better than other people. And that's kind of Chick-fil-A's thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and why the chicken sandwich whole Popeye's thing was, was so interesting. <laughs> is someone was like, no, yeah. we're actually going to try to do this better. But yeah. I, I think that there's something to be said for that, right? Like I've always thought it's funny. Like I, I understand putting health and nutrition stuff and calorie counts and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing on menus, but it's always kind of been funny to me because I've always just thought, look, if you're going to McDonald's, you know what you're getting. <laughs> right, like it's right. it's not going to be health. Like you know what McDonald's is and mm-hmm. for it to try to pretend to be something it isn't just feels disingenuous to me. Mm-hmm. And this almost feels like it goes down that same line. Not that they shouldn't dabble in meatless burgers or whatever, but just what are you going to be good at and, and choose it and, and pick it and stick with it for a right. little while, right? Right. And I think, I mean, the whole health aspect is interesting here too because there has been some debate as to whether this is really that much healthier for you. I think the environmental side is pretty clear. You can yeah. make so many more of these on such fewer or such a fewer amount, such a lesser amount of land. So that's good, obviously. But I wonder if McDonald's is saying we're adding this to go in line with sort of our healthier line of products, mm-hmm. or are they promoting this as saying, hey, we're kind of a more environmentally friendly business? So I don't know how they're really pitching it, or if they're just saying, well, this. Beyond Meat stock has been firing and people are excited about it for whatever reason. It doesn't really matter. We just think it'll sell. So I don't know how they're going to explain it. We'll see. We will see. And I'll be curious to see how long it sticks around, if it does stick around, if it becomes a permanent fixture on their menus or not. So we'll just have to see. Interesting uh, in Canada, too. I don't know why. Why Ontario? Who knows? I can't, I can't rationalize that. I, I cannot come up with like a, a good reason right. why that would be the case. But it is, in fact. All right. So we're going to move uh, across the pond now over to Germany, Wolfsburg specifically, as they have rolled out 5G in their soccer stadium. In July, tele- telecommunications company Vodafone partnered with the German Football League uh, to deliver 5G into stadiums across Germany and Wolfsburg's Volkswagen Arena. And that, that was the first arena that it, uh, it trialed in earlier this week. Now, in the partnership uh, with Vodafone, uh, the Bundesliga has developed a real-time app that allows fans to track player statistics during matches, and it, so it gives you passing stats, distance covered, the amount of shots taken, and the speed at which a player is moving. That's all really, really interesting to me, and it, it, it all seems to come as more and more, not just sports teams, but spe- I'm, I'm thinking of sports leagues specifically, but not just there, as more and more people are looking to provide unique experiences having that real-time data that can you know be communicated in a stadium or something like that is uh, is really cool and is a really interesting feature that gets people in the arena but still having that experience of being able to check stats and things like that yeah i mean i was excited about this i think we hear so much about 5g this is something you said yesterday we hear so much about how 5g is going to change xyz and right and it's always just a forecast and we don't really know but this is actually 5G in action, which is really cool to see. So the fact that it's also a, a small venue and there's a bunch of 5G nodes, the fact that it really is real time is pretty yeah. pretty cool, I think, if you're in the stands. Um, and I know you being a big soccer fan, I was actually interested to see that soccer is kind of at the forefront of this, at, yeah. least, at least one league, because soccer is such a nonstop game, and particularly with these European teams the fans are obviously very engaged yes would you i mean are you surprised that they're banking on people kind of being on their on their tablets or their phones in the stands watching their screen and kind of getting that information as opposed to really being focused on the pitch i'm not surprised this is happening in germany at all mm-hmm. 
uh, just for whatever reason, it just totally makes sense <laughs> to me that this yeah. happens in Germany before it happens in England or Spain right. or Italy or one of the other soccer-obsessed countries over in Europe. Um, because the Germans do seem to care a lot about this type of efficiency and knowing data mm-hmm. and right. you know, <laughs> uh, having that kind of level of understanding about the game that they're watching. And so that, to me, makes a lot of sense. And I think what's interesting about this is... One of the things that I think is fascinating about soccer is that the game doesn't stop ever. Mm-hmm. You know, you might perceive that it's slow or that, you know, ball goes out of bounds too often or that sort of thing, but the clock never stops and players never reset necessarily. Right. And so everything is just kind of moving um, in this amorphous type, uh, <laughs> always changing, always evolving type shape and pattern and that kind of thing. So unlike with American football where play stops, you start over, right. you can easily count what happens on that particular mm-hmm. play. Soccer is a little bit different. So having measurables that you can look at to try to measure performance um, is really fascinating. It just gives those fans that next layer of information. And I'll be curious to see how and when this eventually comes to the United States because I think, you know, uh, like basketball would be an excellent example just to see more of this real-time type engagement um, with fans just to give them that next level. I think that's a really exciting development. Yeah, I know the NHL is testing this year putting an RFID chip in the puck and in player shoulder pads. And I think, like you alluded to, it makes it sort of more digestible for Mm -hmm. fans. Hockey is is stop and start, but it is similar to soccer with the fluidity. Yeah. The positions to the untrained eye don't really stick out to you because people can kind of go all over the ice. So I do think um, there's definitely – I mean, there already has been sort of a data and analytics revolution in sports Mm -hmm. in terms of just player evaluation – but now seeing it on the fan side of things, I think more teams will try to add experiences like this as we've, I mean, the whole industry has talked about how do you get more people into the stands where the TV product is so good now. You need something maybe even more than just the game to get people to go to the stand or to go right, to the actual right. venue. So I do think we will see more of this kind of technology implemented so that people can kind of do something while they're actually watching the game, which is as a as a purist of sport <laughs> fandom, it's kind of alarming. But I mean, if it helps the game day atmosphere, I'm all for it. Well, and and, and sports are looking for that next level of engagement just mm-hmm. to to keep fans entertained, to keep fans coming back. We even saw this in some of the the Formula One content that we've done here, just in talking to um, one of the guys uh, that that does um, analytics there, and kind of has. We, we talked about them pulling back the curtain a little bit more on data and letting mm-hmm. people know information about the cars real time. So as they're watching, they're able to, to know this data and to follow it on a closer level and kind of feel, I guess, that next level of investment and to know what they feel like the team knows, you know, and right. to, to have that in real time, I think it is, is really fascinating. And so I think this is a good job of just utilizing the data that is available in sports nowadays just to draw fans in that one extra level. And I'll be curious to see when this actually makes its way to the United States. Also, just the ability to have 5G in a stadium means that you might actually have cell reception in a stadium, which <laughs> yeah. is still something I've yet yeah. to really fully yeah, experience. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> okay, so we're going to step aside real quick, take a very short break. When we get back, we're going to hear from Daniel Heward, the CEO of Global Green Tag Americas. We're going to talk a little bit about how builders can achieve a net zero energy future. This is an interview conducted by our own Taylor Bagley at the Chicago Build Expo uh, earlier this week. So we're going to hear from that when we get back here on Business Casual. Today's content is brought to you by MarketScale. Do you run a B2B business? Nobody creates more podcasts, videos, case studies, and blogs for B2B marketers like you than MarketScale. Ask us how we can help you today. 
All right, we get a double dose of Jeff this morning. Right. <laughs> Nobody's complaining about that. All right, so as I mentioned, Daniel Heward, the CEO um, of uh, Global Green Tag Americas, talked to Taylor Bagley at the Chicago Build Expo, and they talked about how builders can achieve a net zero energy future and really how green uh, trends and green uh, initiatives are kind of helping take over uh, in the construction space. And so it's no longer about aesthetics only. You also have to consider the uh, the lifespan of, of uh, construction materials. You have to talk about uh, when you're building projects, how can you make them more sustainable? How can you make them more energy efficient? So we're going to talk about that and we're going to hear that interview that they conducted right now here on Business Casual. So to start off here, tell me a little bit about what are some of the things to consider in design and how are some of those uh, design approaches changing when considering sustainable architecture? Uh, I, I think we're looking at kind of four macro trends, uh, you know, with sustainability and sustainability sustainable architecture being the, the key that started it all. Um, material transparency is now becoming a very major factor, which is what we do uh, for our clients helping product manufacturers to uh, comply with uh, various green building rating systems and wellness rating systems in 160 countries. Um, in addition to that, you know, resiliency is a major new trend. Um, and, and I think that's as a result of what we're seeing uh, Climate-wise, and, and changes, and, and uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call them Mother Nature events. They're sort of prompted by, mm -hmm. um, you know, the genealogy of the climate uh, on the planet. And I, and the, and the last one is the wellness movement. You know, people want to be comfortable in the buildings that, that they occupy, where they live, where right. they work, etc. Uh, and there's a combined with that sustainability, the, the next desire was, do I have a food-like label? On, on the products that go in the building, are they healthy for me? Um, so those those attributes all start to feed into certainly the resiliency attributes. I think start to feed into the need to start embracing net zero construction as well. Um, so we're not just talking net zero energy; we're talking net zero energy, net zero waste, net zero water. And in fact, back in uh, 2014, we determined that uh, I was on a team to bring. Asia's very first living building challenge project to Shanghai, where we d delivered a net positive energy building, net positive energy, net positive water. Wow, no, that's fantastic. Well, really, yeah, in that same vein, um, where are we at currently with aiming for um, net zero energy facilities just in general? I, I think we're really well positioned. I've worked with uh, the DOE, uh, the federal government, and California Energy Commission. As you know, California is on pace to do net zero energy homes. Um, right now it's it's codified and uh, the, you know they're not at a challenge because we've proved that we can do it. Um, we've got, uh, I, I'm from Las Vegas, um, we've got a, a community of several hundred homes that were built net zero um, almost a decade ago now. So the technology exists. The really great part of it is with the move to, towards transparency and the, and the, and the move towards Resiliency. People are realizing that adding solar panels alone isn't the solution that you need. Mm. You need to be more robust. And when I say more robust, I'm not saying you need to spend more money. You really need to be considerate of all of the aspects that go into it. And look at diversification of your energy supply. So think of it like a, like a bank or a battery. You put assets in, you need assets to, to operate. So as long as you consider the time of day for your need and the need for assets, then, then you, you get to, to come back. So, you know, recently working on, on stuff in other places, 
we see that you know the battery technology is coming along and the need for addition of batteries to renewable energy helps make somebody not only resilient, but it's very cost effective. We, we're seeing rapid ROIs. Um, in, in, you know, earlier in my career, I worked for an entity that was a utility, a water utility, and we did um, some major solar installs. It, with that stuff, the, you know, the predicted ROI was 12 years. Mm -hmm. As we started installing it, we were looking at calculations and seeing the performance of the products being better than we intended. Seeing the ROI come to somewhere in the seven-year um, ballpark, and it actualized at about 5.9 years. So all of a sudden, that becomes a really wise decision that you've made. Mm -hmm. You know, you've created an asset instead of a liability. And I think we, we, we're capable of doing the same thing with water, and we're only starting to explore how we can do that stuff with water um, as well. We've got net zero waste, uh, where we make sure that, you know, we're on one ecosphere. You've got to realize if you turn something into trash, you might throw it into your neighbor's backyard, but it's, it's certainly, it's going to return to yours at some point in time. So you've got to be cognizant about the stuff that you select to use and use resources wisely and realize at the end of their, their lifespan, you know, you want something durable, but at the end of the lifespan, you want to be able to repurpose it for, right. for other uses. So, you know, within our certifications, we do uh, what's called a carbon rate. Mm -hmm. So it assesses the embodied carbon in the material you're using in the construction. And then we look at, is the material useful for some other purpose, any other beneficial purpose? Because we should close all the landfills mm -hmm. and, and use stuff more wisely. There's no reason why we can't recycle something. And if there's a manufacturing path that creates a product that after uh, an end of service life of, say, 10 years, this needs to go to a landfill, then something's wrong at the drawing board at the beginning. We have to do stuff that's either much more durable lifespan-wise or has alternative means of using that embodied energy in that product in another product in another manner at the end of that, that service life so that it's, it's not wasted. That was Daniel Heward talking to Taylor Bagley out at Chicago Build. He's the CEO of Global Green Tag Americas and just talking a little bit more about sustainability, about recycling, about being more responsible about our building materials in the future. Seem to uh, be optimistic about what we can continue to do and the changes that we can make uh, for a more uh, sustainable and green future for our building materials. So really interesting interview there. If you want to hear more, you can head over to marketscale.com. Go to our architecture and design page. And there it's uh, under the title, How Builders Can Achieve a Net Zero Energy Future. And you can watch the full video. It's about uh, more like 17 minutes long or so. And you can uh, get his full insights there. All right, Jeff, we had some news come out of Facebook this week. Uh, give us the story here. Yeah, so Facebook with an acquisition, which is not abnormal for them, but this one's, uh, I don't want to say eye-raising, but it's pretty interesting. I mean, they acquired this brain computing startup called Control Labs. Uh, it's a New York-based firm that uh, it's developing a technology where they have a a user will have a wristband and they'll be able to control devices in their office or their home, whatever technology they want, um, just with their brain and the nodes that are going through their body. So they acquired them for what? between $500 million and $1 billion. Um, 
Facebook VP of AR and VR, Andrew the Boz Bosworth, um, <laughs> in the post about the acquisition said, technology like this has the potential to open up new creative possibilities and reimagine 19th century inventions in a 21st century world. So they did say it's years away from commercialization, um, but I mean, it obviously has the potential to really transform how people do business. This is really interesting. And so the, the, the sentence, they have a wristband capable of transmitting electrical signals from the brain into computer input. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> there's something weird about that, right? Like, I don't want to be like, I'm against progress and technology guy. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I trust Facebook with knowing my brain thoughts, right, I guess. Right. I don't, I don't I know. Mean, Does that it make is sense? interesting coming from Facebook, which has had some backlash over trust for sure. Some is probably an understatement, honestly. Um, and it's funny that this came out this week because you guys just spoke on the last show about the chip in people's arms yeah. and all of that. So maybe this is kind of where things are going with uh, companies linking up with their employees very intimately, I guess. Um, but I mean, if you kind of take, and you can't really take those concerns away, mm -hmm. but it could open up some really cool possibilities if you are really able to control your devices without having to monitor a couple different screens or, you know, you only have two hands. And I mean, that right. works for a lot of people, but for some of these higher level engineering or computer science uh, roles, they're probably very excited about this. Maybe so. I mean, I guess everybody's always been trying to create Minority Report since <laughs> they saw that movie with Tom Cruise back in the day, you know, where he could move around all the screens with his hands and that was really neat and that kind of thing. But I feel like at a certain point we're going to hit a breaking point with this technology that's like increasingly, I don't know if invasive is the mm -hmm. right word, but it it increasingly asks a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And so right. you get to a point where you're like, so I'm putting something on my wrist that is controlled by my thoughts, I guess, and that mm -hmm. I can control computer objects. I don't know. At a certain point, do we step back and say, like, what's what's the long-term right. benefit of this? And, and I get that I, I would want to know what they see as, like, actual use cases of this because you read that, that uh, quote, you know, 19th century technology in, like, a 21st <laughs> century way kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. I. I don't know entirely what that means or how they picture this actually being used. If I can just like sit there and control my, you know, Facebook right. page with my mind and like scroll, mm. scroll, mm. scroll, click on that, like that, whatever. But it, it feels like at a certain point we're going to get to we're going to get to um I don't know, a spot in time where everybody on some collective level will say, "No, that's probably enough." Like, <laughs> right? I, or maybe I'm crazy. Maybe this is just the path of innovation, and this is how we get to being the Jetsons or right, whatever. Right, Well, I think the one thing that really stuck out to me was just the price tag. I mean, $500 million to a billion. Facebook did say it was less than a billion-dollar acquisition, but still, I mean, that's a sizable amount of money, even for Facebook. So that sort of just spoke to the seriousness, I guess, of this. Like, they're really diving in. Like, this is – they're going to be investing in this, like – People are going to show up to work instead of maybe typing in your password to open up your computer screens. They're going to slap on this wristband. It's all going to open up in front of yeah. you, and they're just going to sit there. I, I don't know what this means for like collaboration with humans in a business space, but I mean, this is definitely a market that seems, with this kind of investment, pretty hot. This neural computing, and most, from what I've read, most of these other companies in this space with Control Labs have a headband. Right. This is on their on people's wrists, so it's supposed to be far more accurate because people's brains in the cortex is very different 
super high level stuff here. <laughs> in your wrist, the structure is very similar. So you should get a very good reading, which for the people that are in favor of this, this is probably a cool development. You're saying this is more accurate now. It's more you know, efficient, all of that. So um, we'll see how they explain it. I mean, how yeah. do they sell this to just your average worker? Um, we'll see. Um, also in New York, as we transition as smoothly as we can out of that story, I don't know how you do that, but um, the MTA board unanimously approved a historic $51.5 billion capital spending plan to basically improve New York's public transportation largely in the subway. $40 billion of that is going to New York City Transit. Um, so this is going to take place over the next five years, 2020 to 2024. It's the single largest source of fund, or sorry, it is it is the largest capital spending in the MTA's history. Uh, the largest source of the funds for the plan, $25 billion, is coming from bonds backed by a revenue stream authorized in this year's state budget. Um, I just kind of want to get your reaction to that. I mean, it's been something we've spoken about before, right. um, what these improvements are going towards. And just in general, you see $51 billion to improve aging infrastructure again. <laughs> so yeah. It's uh, seriously a problem everywhere. It's a big job that requires a lot of money, unfortunately, for the city. And they've continued to kick a can down the mm -hmm. road of, okay, we know we need to make infrastructure improvements. But instead, other things kept taking priority to the point where now it's at a critical right. spot. And you know this because you're from that mm -hmm. area of the world, and, and I'm not. But part of... Part of what makes New York New York is the ability for it to be a hub of global commerce, for it to be a capital of mm -hmm. uh, you know of industry basically. And if its reputation takes a hit in that it's not able to actually sustain the number of people that currently live there, then I think that affects it on the global stage. So this is an improvement that's necessary to continue to allow business to happen right. in New York at its current scale that I, I think I think needs to happen. So it's gonna stink, like that's gonna <laughs> suck. But yeah. you're gonna have to. They were gonna have to swallow this pill at some point, and so I get that making this investment, uh, you know, feels feels not fun. Also, what's uh, interesting to me is that 15 billion dollars that comes from congestion pricing, which is something they mm -hmm. are starting to implement, where uh, driving through Midtown Manhattan, that sort of thing, right. you will uh, like at certain points in the day, uh, there will be a surge pricing toll that will basically then go to help pay for the subway system and things like that for the, the capital improvements that need to be made to public transportation. So I think all things considered, this is a necessary thing that had to happen, but it's, it's not fun for anybody. Yeah. I get that. I, I think you made a great point though. If this is just enabling business to get done. So yeah. when you're a city like New York, that is considered like financial capital of the world. You have to make an investment like this, especially with their layout. I mean, you can't drive that, frequently there, honestly, with any kind of reliability. So sure. you need to have a subway system like this. And it is interesting that a city like that has to spend $51 billion on their public transit system. And other cities really just, I mean, what could you do with $51 billion on public transit in Dallas? You would you would have an entirely different system. You yeah, know, you totally just, would. So uh, it's a pretty amazing uh, number. And I do think it'll be big for the business community in particular. And I know you just spoke to our own Tim Maitland and Cam Cooper on, right. on visiting New York uh, from a business perspective, some tips for business travelers. So they'll probably be very excited by this as long as they can avoid the headache of the construction. <laughs> but going exactly. forward, they uh, are probably pretty pleased. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Just the, the ability to get around the city with ease when it comes to 
um, when it comes to the subway, I think is a, is a major plus. But mm-hmm. we'll have to see how all of this goes. Obviously, uh, it'll be a big time for New York City. So, Jeff, that's all we have time for today, man. Man, it flies. It flies by every time. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Of course. Well, thank you for listening, good listener. We'll be back on Wednesday with another episode of Business Casual. But for today, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. And I'm Jeffrey Short. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Have a great week and weekend. (laughs) 